Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, And in today's episode, we are going to be talking about the role of physical therapy as the primary care PT. So what does this mean? This means that a physical therapist being first point of contact for the patient into the medical system. And what do physical therapists need to know in order to be the primary care PT? So to talk us through this topic, I'm really happy to welcome Dr. Katie O'Bright. She is a residency trained physical therapist and educator who has spent much of her career in multidisciplinary primary care settings. She started her career as an active duty army PT where she worked in a team-based soldier-centered medical home. Since then, she has worked in multidisciplinary care settings and academic health systems and private practices, including oncology care. She also serves as adjunct faculty in several DPT programs, teaching foundations in primary care, oncology, musculoskeletal, and gross anatomy. In 2020, Dr. O'Bright founded Redefine Health Education, an education and consulting company with the mission of getting more physical therapists competent and prepared for work in the first contact team-based care settings, starting with primary care. She's the lead instructor and foundations for primary care PT and contributes to musculoskeletal imaging curriculum. She currently lives in the Chicago Metro with her husband and two sons and enjoys being outdoors and is a Buffalo Bills fan. We'll let it slide because, you know, I'm a a Philadelphia Eagles fan, Um, but I want to thank Katie for coming on. Um, We've got a lot of resources on podcast.healthywealthysmart.com, and she's actually giving Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart listeners a $50 discount for courses at Redefine Health Education, so you can use HWS Podcast 2022 for the $50 discount. Um, So big thanks for Katie for coming on, talking about primary care physical therapy. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you join us today. Thank you so much. It's really honestly a pleasure and and a privilege to be on your show. I've been a longtime listener, so this has been awesome. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you for that. And today we're going to talk about the role of the physical therapist in primary care, which for those of us like myself, who's been in the profession for quite, quite many, many years, um, (laughs) I feel like this concept of the primary care PT um, is on the newer side, Mm -hmm. depending on maybe what part of the country or the world you're practicing in. Mm -hmm. So before we get into uh, the meat of the interview, I would love for you to define what is the primary care physical therapist? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that you're going to get a different answer from you know, you'll get 10 different answers from 10 different people that you ask, but the way that I really like to think about it, and even my definition has evolved a bit over time, but the way that I like to think about it is, um, a lot of people think that primary care PT just equals, you know, direct access or first contact or seeing a patient without a referral. But as I've learned more about what it, what it is to be a primary care provider, 
I, I think that it has a lot more to do with being, uh, uh, being able to comprehensively assess a patient across all different specialty areas. So it's not just, you know, you are an advanced neuromusculoskeletal professional. It's you are, um, able to to assess and, and effectively manage the functional needs of a patient, whether they have primarily orthopedic complaints or primarily, you know, maybe they're a pediatric patient or they primarily are, you know, dealing with some other non-communicable diseases like diabetes and uh, hypertension. You as the primary care PT are able to understand what it, all of those, how all of those systems play into their functional needs. And you're able to provide guidance on the, the management in conjunction and in sync with other healthcare professionals like the primary care physician, but you're able to effectively manage a variety of different conditions, not necessarily just their orthopedic or just their neuro or just their pelvic floor. Um, so that's kind of what my definition of primary care PT has come to evolve into. And I feel like my colleagues at the primary care SIG would probably agree with me. Yeah, I, that seems reasonable. Have you ever heard of people saying, wait, primary care PT, isn't that overstepping our license or isn't that going beyond what we should be doing? How do you respond to that? Well, I respond to it this way. Um, I think that pri the primary care team is a team and you can have a primary care physician or a PA nurse practitioner um, and they're typically in most cases, especially in the United States, um, you will have a primary care physician and they'll also have a team of, of nurses. Maybe they'll have a clinical pharmacist. Um, and oftentimes that doesn't include an in-house co-located, uh, or, you know, maybe not co-located, but down the hallway PT. Um, but I think a lot of health systems are starting to see the advantages of having a variety of healthcare professionals that can be first contact. So for example, um, the, there, there's physicians that can build primary care codes like ENM primary care codes, nine, nine series codes. And then there's non-physician professionals that can build those codes as well. And that's limit. That's not, um, not just limited to PAs and nurse practitioners. It also is encompassing behavioral health professionals, um, midwives, um, clinical pharmacy to a certain extent. And I think you're going to start to see more and more primary care teams functioning as a team, which also includes a physical therapist that can contribute to the, you know, the, like managing the patient's functional needs and everybody contributes to what component they need to contribute to. Yeah. And that's interesting. You bring up the code. So Normally the physical therapists are billing under the nine sevens mm -hmm. usually. Um, so in this case, if you are uh, working with someone within their insurance system mm -hmm. and, and you're not a direct pay physical therapist, how do you bill for these services or yeah. A great question. Um, so I actually just connected with Rick Gawenda last week, and I want to talk to him a lot more about this. Um, so I actually have some, some meetings arranged, or I'm, I'm reaching out to plan some meetings with him um, to consult on that specific topic, because the health systems that I have worked with, um, or that I've consulted with, they're all doing different things. Some of them are billing 97 series code codes within the primary care setting. But 
a lot of this over the past couple of years, since I've been really into this space, um, a lot of these clinics have not received the, the feedback from their billing and finance departments because of, you know, COVID short, you know, short staff because of COVID. And, you know, we we're shifting our focus to this area. So we can't give you the finance data that you need in PT. Um, so a lot of them don't have reasonable data. So I'll just tell you what I do know. Some of them are billing nine, seven series codes. Some of them are doing, they have a PT that is co-located in primary care they see a patient for um, a quick evaluation and may provide them with some treatments. If they do some treatments, the, the physician or other healthcare provider is also seeing that patient in the same day and they'll do a warm handoff to PT. So then they do incident two billing under the physician's care because they're, so they're kind of like co-treating at the same time, even though the PT is collecting those RVUs for that visit. Um, so that's one way that they know it can get reimbursed. Um, some, uh, some locations are not billing their services at all. Um, they're sort of like eating the cost while they're in the primary care space, but they're seeing downstream, you know, boosts in their revenue because more of their patients that they have touch points with in primary care are actually then following up and actually seeing them in physical therapy. Um, and then they're also, you know, finding like we were reducing imaging by being co-located. So there's other, you know, benefits. Um, then, I mean, there's, I, I could go on and on, but there's tons of different ways that people are doing this, but we don't have the, the hard data or anything like in the research to show, yes, this is effective here. It's going to be effective for every insurance and this and that it's such a complicated problem. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out as much as I can about it so that when people approach me and ask me questions about how to bill for it um, in a typical insurance type system, um, I have a variety of options that they could start with. And then I, you know, I hope to eventually talk with some of my, um, some of my colleagues that are you know, more, more interested and nerdy about research that could actually help me set up a, a research trial and, and study the, the whole thing and report on it accurately. Um, but right now I'm just collecting data. Yeah, that makes sense. A lot of times as things are a little bit newer, you kind of go through some growing pains until you can figure out, Hey, where does this fit in? Mm -hmm. So let's say you're a physical therapist in an outpatient clinic. You're not co-located with the doctor mm -hmm. and someone does come to you in that direct access, um, way, which for mm -hmm. those who don't know what direct access is, that means you can see a physical therapist without a referral mm -hmm. from a physician, which I think is getting more and more common, um, across the country to a certain extent. So if, if your advertising or your marketing is including like, Hey, we're primary care, physical therapists, mm -hmm. what does that look like in the clinic? Can you give some examples or an example? Yeah, I can. So one of the things that I teach in my course, um, so I, I'm the owner of redefine health education and the two um, areas where we, where we teach in, in particular are foundations in primary care PT and musculoskeletal imaging, which really go hand in hand. And one of the main feet, main things that I focus on in my primary care course is how to effectively perform a systems review, um, in a way that is 
all encompassing so that if a patient comes to you with a primary shoulder complaint, not only are you doing a systems review to rule out red flags related to that shoulder complaint, but you're also identifying problem areas that can affect their health in, you know, in the near term and in the long term, so that you can learn how to educate them appropriately. So let's say a patient comes into you, you're not co-located with a pri another primary care team or anything like that. But if a patient comes to you with primary shoulder complaint, and you also find that they have of hypertension and they're pre-diabetic and maybe they have an autoimmune disorder. Um, and you know, oh, by the way, they had COVID, uh, really bad and they were hospitalized and they're having some long COVID symptoms, how to ensure that you're including components in your plan of care that address all of that, whether it's just little bits of education here and there. Um, and also, you know, of course, you know, I, one of the, one of the other things I teach in my course is not only just understanding all of that from an evaluation perspective, but then understanding how much the patient is willing to go down um, and actually allow you to intervene um, in their lifestyle habits or, or other areas. So I think that that process is something that PTs that are working in a, a typical outpatient orthopedic clinic are not doing very well because usually we are seeing patients exclusively for an isolated shoulder condition. And we're not really looking into what the rest of their um, medical history really spells out for us. Um, but what I teach is in basically intervening in, in lifestyle and ensuring that they're, you know, if they need medication management for an autoimmune disease, are they actually following it? How is that playing into or related to their shoulder pain? How is that affecting their nervous system? How is that affecting their cardiovascular system? Um, so yeah, I think that I think that you certainly could, you certainly could. Uh, and, and then another thing, I've I've had a I had one outpatient clinic uh, team, or um, they were kind of like a local regional chain, but they also had a kind of a analogous to them was a local regional primary care group that they were interested in, in it, both privately owned, really interested in collaborating together. So even though they weren't co-located, one of the things they thought about doing and that they're in the process of building is they're actually going to have a PT hang out in the primary care office, um, whether it's one, two, three, three days a week or a half, you know, an, an afternoon here or there, um, just to be able to be there and to be able to address patients' functional needs on the spot if they need it. So there's, there's all different ways that you can do that. Even if you're in a privately owned, uh, you know, private practice or you own your own cash-based practice, I think that the more we can get integrated into teams, the better. And do you have any um, data that shows how perhaps a team-based approach may, may improve outcomes or patient satisfaction? I do. Yeah. So, um, a couple of the, a couple of there, there's, there's a number of studies that have looked at this, but one of the, one of the main ones that I was looking at recently was, um, I think it was a Dutch study. I'll, I'll have to look, I'll have to look at it, but I'm pretty sure this was conducted in the Netherlands and it was looking at elderly adults, um, community dwelling, um, elderly adults where they had, um, a, a team-based group. Of, so they, they looked at a, um, a comparator group where it was really just a physician and nurses. And then they looked at basically the same, um, the same group that had a physician, nurses, social workers. Um, I believe they had clinical pharmacy. They had a recreational therapist. 
Um, so they had this team that would all um, work with the patients together. And one of the main things that they found was not only improved patient outcomes and patient satisfaction, but also provider satisfaction. And that's one thing that I have found. So that's just one study with one example. Um, but there are a number of studies that show this. And just from my own experience working in team-based primary care, um, I, if I would not have been in those settings, I do not think I would have as, as good of an understanding of, um, of the other body systems as I would have, as I, uh, would otherwise. So I think that they, when you work together more frequently, whether you're co-located or whether you're just on the phone or being able to have like a texting relationship with other providers, they're going to understand what you do a lot better. And, uh, and then they'll learn and grow from that and vice versa. So I think that not only is there benefit, not only do patients reap the benefits in their health outcomes and in their satisfaction, but also providers are, they, they seem to be much happier um, and have a lower rate of burnout when they do work in a, in a team, um, as opposed to just kind of being around the, the same old, same old all the time. You know, if, if you just are surrounded by people that are so much that are like you and think like you and do like you and are trained like you all the time for your entire career, you're not going to learn and grow as much as you would if you were around other people who don't, who, who weren't trained like you um, and who have a different perspective. And um, I, I think I'm able to treat my patients better because I, for the, for most of my career have, have not been around PTs. <laughs> And how do you think this fits into the sustainability of physical therapy as a profession? Yeah. So that's, that's, this is my favorite question. Um, I, I gave a, um, a presentation recently for the primary care SIG. I think it was in May this year, 2022. And one of the things I talked about was how I don't, I don't think that our profession, the way that we're doing things is sustainable at all. Um, in fact, I think that there, there are so few patients, you know, it's estimated that seven to 10% of all patients with functional complaints ever end up seeing a PT, which is not a good thing. That is not a good thing at all. Um, and the model that we are kind of trained under and the model that a lot of PT clinics tend to follow, especially if you're in the insurance market is they follow where, where they, where you're seeing a lot fewer, a significant fewer number of evaluations than you are seeing like treatment sessions per day. But if, if the world health organization is saying that, you know, 25% of all complaints, 20 to 25% of all complaints, give or take, you know, depending on your region and the time frame and yada, yada, 20 to 25% of any, any patient encounter in the primary care space or in the emergency department is going to be neuromusculoskeletal related. And only 7% of those are ever ending up seeing us. Imagine what it would be like if we could be kind of that first person to consult with them. Just imagine that. And so, you know, we might see an, a, a higher number of, value, of evaluations per day, but we can be there to intervene where it's really the most important, where we can ensure that they're not receiving excessive amount of, um, you know, imaging or medications or unnecessary tests and studies. Um, and we really are the professionals that should be determining and assisting in figuring that out. Um, so 
I think that if we were able to intervene just in that one area, then we could save our healthcare system a whole lot of money. We could improve our population health tremendously. Um, and then we're also going to be leveraging our skills because the, I started my career in the army. I saw a lot of evaluations, um, like more evaluations than, than, than treatments most of the time. And what I found was my differential diagnosis skills and my ability to screen got really, really, really good, really, really, really fast. So the more evaluations and consults that we see, we be, we are able to recognize more and more patterns. We're able to intervene quickly. Um, and other providers around us see our value more significantly. And then insurance companies on the other end, see our, see our value more significantly. If you, if you flip the role and you, and we don't, let's say we don't do that. We just continue down the road that we're currently on where we have, you know, an evaluation or two a day and, you know, all of these treatment sessions in order to keep the lights on. If you're still in an insurance-based market in order to keep the, the lights on for any private clinic owner, you have to, you have to maximize the number of visits that a patient is being seen, whether that's necessary, or if you're maybe just loosely saying that's necessary to make sure that you can keep the lights on. Insh reimbursement is only getting worse and worse and worse because insurance companies are like, well, we don't really think that's necessary. And we're saying, oh yeah, 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 that's necessary. And maybe in some cases it is, but for the vast majority of musculoskeletal health, musculoskeletal problems, we know that if we intervene early, if we reassure, if we educate, if we say, stay active and exercise, the, the natural history is that they will probably improve and get better. So if we can intervene there, um, then we probably will kind of see it shift where we'll do like more evaluations and consults and less treatments and therefore save the insurance company a whole lot of money, save the patient a whole lot of time and money. Um, and then everybody's, everybody's happy. So I think that if the roles flip a little bit and we learn as, as a profession, how to be, how to serve in more of a consultant role for population health, neuromusculoskeletal conditions, maybe, maybe just maybe, maybe I'm crazy, but maybe just maybe the tides will turn and we can be more sustainable as a profession in the insurance market. So that's a long way of answering that question. No, that was a great answer. And you brought something up kind of, uh, more and more people who are going to emergency rooms, a lot of times for musculoskeletal health. And we are starting to see PTs in the ER. Mm -hmm. And would you, I mean, that's obviously cer certainly a primary care mm -hmm. position, right? Um, so what do you think that your typical outpatient or, or inpatient uh, physical therapist can learn from those emergency room PTs mm -hmm. that we can kind of take into different settings? Does that make sense? Uh, sort of, I'll, I'll start by addressing the, uh, the, the ED PTs, um, by the way, um, shout out to Rebecca Griffith, who is, you know, just launched her, um, ED DPT, uh, biz this year, and she's doing a great job with that. But, um, so if you need specific questions about how to be any, how to be a physical therapist in the ED, I personally don't have any experience in that space. Um, but, but she does. So reach out to her. Um, and maybe, yeah, we can put her, her name in the show notes, um, right. but there, there's a lot of overlap. And I think 
you know, we there since there are more there are more PTs in the ED. Um, you you you'd be surprised actually. I've been finding out more and more about PTs in primary care than I ever thought was actually there. Um, and probably maybe the the ED has just been more. Um, there's been more exposure given to PTs in the ED. Um, so so to answer that question, what can there's a little bit of a difference though. So PTs in the ED typically don't see their patients back. You know, they might, they might see them one time and, it, and it's truly, well, unless you, of course the ED sees a lot of repeat offenders, but, um, but if we're talking just like the, the average patient showing up at the ED, they see their patient one time and it's truly there to, to, to rule out red flags to ensure that they're receiving the most, if they need imaging, the most appropriate, um, most necessary type of imaging study, and that they're getting the, the most adequate referrals and consults that they need, um, re reducing uh, opioid prescriptions and other types of unnecessary, excuse me, prescriptions, and also giving them something to go home with. Whereas if they, if they just see like an ED physician or, or, or another uh, type of typical ED care provider, they're not as, and, and I don't want to speak for them. I, I am so, I'm such a huge proponent of, of working with physicians and nurse practitioners and PAs. Um, but I know that from my experience, even they have told me that I have, I have the, the, the knack for just talking to those patients and being able to do the, do that little bit of motivational interviewing and figure out, figuring out what's, what works for them, what's going to empower them, what they need. Um, and that little bit of education is, is important. So, um, but typically in the ED, they won't see their patients back. It's kind of like you're doing a quick evaluation, determining their needs and then like discharge planning or the patient is admitted or whatever. Right. In primary care, my, my whole theory and really my vision for PTs in the primary care in primary care teams is that we would be co-located and, or just affiliated. Maybe you're not in the same location, but you are affiliated somehow, or you have a close relationship with a primary care team where you can have lots of good integrative uh, care planning for the patient. And it becomes almost like a revolving door. So with your, with your patients that you see, um, like I have my own primary care physician. I can go to my primary care physician whenever, if I have a problem or for my annual visit or whatever. Within my primary care team, I also have access to, if I, if I needed it, I also have access to a behavioral health provider who is part of that primary care team. And if at any point I had, you know, a mental health crisis or something like that, I would go to this person because she's a, a part of my primary care team. And then they all work together and figure out what to do um, and, you know, with, with my, uh, with my input, figuring out what is the best situation for me. So with PTs being a part of those primary care teams, you, you get access as a patient, you would get access to a PT on a revolving door basis. And then you have established, you, you have kind of, um, you know, if I, if I was, if I was, um, the, uh, how, how do I, I'm, I'm jump, jumbling up. Cause I get so excited talking about this. If I were a patient coming to see a primary care PT, my very first visit would be a well visit. And then I would kind of like go through, maybe figure out, identify some risk factors, or maybe identify, you know, you're not necessarily having a problem now. Here's what your body normally does and looks like. And this is what you do for physical activity. Let me give you some pointers. Maybe, 
you know, maybe you want to increase your exercise. Here's how to do it safely. And then if, and when problems do develop down the road, we can address those. And I know what your baseline is like, and it doesn't have to be this, this finite linear relationship where there's an evaluation, treat, 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 hard discharge for this one problem. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? So I do. Like, yeah. So it, it, it becomes this, you, you have a team of care professionals that are on your side and that know you and that know each other. And, you know, maybe they all, they're all trained differently and they all see things from a different perspective. Um, but they all collaborate as a team to help you be able to help yourself the best. And I think that's, that, that is my vision for what the future of, of, of PTs and team-based care looks like. And I am like just dying for it to happen. You know, I, I well, think make it happen. thrive in this. I, th- I think that, you know, the rate of burnout in our profession is substantial and it kills me. Like I, some of my, my students are coming out of school after their first couple of clinical, um, clinical rotations. And they're like, this isn't what I signed up for. Like, what are my other options? I don't want to be a PT. That's scary. And I think that PTs would be able to at least, at least delay (laughs) the, the onset of burnout. If we were able to, to shift into these types of care models, it would be so refreshing. Yeah. I mean, it definitely sounds like that patient-centered care that we talk about the biopsychosocial system of care, uh, model of care that, uh, I would say most healthcare professionals are moving towards, hopefully. Um, but it, it does sound like it's a good environment for the patient, a good environment for the clinician. And like you said, you have the opportunity to learn from different professions and from different folks who uh, might not have the same skill sets as you and vice versa. Um, and it also kind of starts to bleed into a little bit of lifestyle medicine and things like that, which is um, something that we can all use. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. I love all of it. Now you had said, uh, you briefly, um, talked about redefine health. So do you want to go in and, and tell the listeners a little bit more about that? If they're interested in learning more on how they can brush up on their skills to be a, a, a better primary care PT. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I've always wanted to, I had always wanted to get into the education space, but never in a million years did I think I would ever be starting my own education company. COVID did this to me. Um, but you know what? Thank you, COVID for that. You know, if there's one, uh, so there's like these unnecessary, um, I, I guess, uh, unprecedented things that came out of the, the pandemic. And, and for me, it was, I, I lost my cash business, uh, after it just started. Um, and there was a number of things going on with that, but I decided to just jump right into education. And it was, uh, it was an evolving thing for me. I I really didn't know exactly what direction I wanted to take it at first. So it's taken an, um, you know, almost two, it took almost two years to really find my, to find my niche and really find my, my truth and what, what I'm the most passionate about. And for me, it has always been primary care. Um, and it just took a while for me to like figure that out from a business perspective. So, um, so yeah, I teach foundations for the primary care PT, 
Um, and my, my partner, Dr. Lance Mabry teaches, um, our musculoskeletal imaging certification. So I'll talk just briefly about both. Um, the foundations for primary care PT is an 18 hour, um, CE course, and it's really meant for the, the physical therapist that wants to, wants to like break free of this, this model where patient comes in for neck pain and you're just really looking at their neck and, um, lifestyle medicine for me has been something that has been really actually life-changing for me personally. I, after having kids had a lot of, um, autoimmune, uh, problems that I had no idea what was going on. And I just was like kind of scattering, going to different physicians here and there. And everyone was like, almost kind of like band-aiding all of my problems. And then I finally connected with a life. She's a board certified, um, family medicine and lifestyle medicine physician. And, um, honestly, she helped me so much by just inter helping me intervene with my diet and really looking deeply into, you know, those six pillars of lifestyle medicine. So after really kind of seeing what that did for me personally, and what I was able to do as a trickle effect with my patients, um, and, and then just diving into the research and seeing, wow, we really need to intervene in lifestyle if we're going to affect population health. And everybody, every health professional has a role in lifestyle medicine and lifestyle intervention. So in my primary care course, um, the whole first day is all about just taking your, everybody learns a little bit of medical screening or should learn pretty solid medical screening in their DBT education, taking what you learned in your DBT education to the next level where, you know, if somebody circles yes on a certain number of, um, you know, past medical history or symptom profile, um, if they circle yes on those things on their intake form, you know exactly what questions to rule up or rule down different conditions to, to bring you to your, you know, your final set or your initial list of differential diagnoses. So that's kind of all day one. Day two is more uh, kind of a deep dive into visceral pathophysiology um, so, okay. We all learned about anatomy and physiology, the heart and the lungs and the GI system and all that stuff. But when was the last time you really actually spent time with it? So day two is all, uh, review of visceral pathophysiology. And, uh, I, I focus a lot on the cardiovascular system because let's be honest, everybody has atherosclerosis, everybody has some level of atherosclerosis. And for most people, it's, it's just, it's just, you're just like a day or two away from becoming prehypertensive. So I focus a lot on that and what PTs can do to intervene, um, in patients in their, you know, in that sweet spot, you know, ages 25 to 45, where we can really have an effect on somebody developing or not developing those, those chronic illnesses. Um, and then I also talk about, you know, you can maybe identify, <clears throat> excuse me, you can maybe identify that somebody has some lifestyle factors that need to be assessed, but how do you assess their readiness and their willingness to change? And how do you make sure that you're respectful of their wishes? Maybe they don't want to go there and maybe that's okay. So, um, so that, and then of course, interdisciplinary collaboration and communication as part of my course series, I have, um, I've interviewed other, uh, physicians in different specialties of practice and kind of their thoughts on what, what PTs are, what PTs should do. And, um, I play these videos in my course because I think that overall, <clears throat> I don't want to speak for my whole profession, but from my experience, 
there's more PTs than not that are afraid to pick up the phone and call a physician and tell them what they think and recommend what they want to, or, or what they, what they feel is appropriate and, and say, Hey, I, you know, this patient seems like they're, they've got a neurologic profile that kind of looks like MS and, you know, maybe you want to take a closer look at that. So, so what, what these other physicians actually think and say about PT. Um, so that's kind of my primary care course in a nutshell and, um, Lance's musculoskeletal imaging course. I mean, a lot of people think that imaging is just kind of like something that's done, you know, if like you have a, if you suspect a fracture, you know, you've got your Ottawa ankle and, you know, you've got your, your, um, your Ottawa knee rules and like all the, your Canadian ceasefire rules and all that. But do we really know for different pathologies, what views and what types of modalities and studies are actually required in order to effectively rule out a condition? Do we recognize and understand that radiographs are inherently specific, not inherently sensitive? So if you have a high level of a high index of suspicion for something, you need to continue the workup. And what, what do you continue the workup with? Is it MRI? Is it CT? Um, is it something totally different? Are you doing this to rule out something that's vascular or something that's soft tissue or something that's bony? Um, and I think that in general, probably not just PTs, but there's a whole lot of people that don't understand those things. And I think we're doing our patients a disservice by not fully understanding those because let, I mean, we have to face the fact that imaging is a part of the diagnostic process, whether we want to recognize it or not. So we have to, whether you can place the order yourself or not, you need to understand how you need to understand how and why it's done for what purpose, and then how to clinically respond once a patient has had imaging and who to communicate with and, you know, when to pick up the phone and ask some questions to the radiologist. And, um, so Lance does a tremendous job with a way better job than I would do with all of that. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the courses that we have to offer. And really, I want to, I am not doing this to make money. Trust me. Like I would be, uh, my, my husband just graduated with his MBA, like a little more than a year ago. And he's always been like, go get your MBA. Like you can, you have so much potential. You can make so much money in this space. And I'm like, I don't know. I was put here to do a certain thing. And PT is the profession that I have just like, it's, it's more of a vocation for me than anything else. And I just really feel like our profession needs some dire change and needs people, certain people in it to make moves and make changes. And I understand that my, the, the visions that I have in my head right now for what our profession could be seem like pie in the sky craziness, especially with the way that insurance is right now. But if this is the one area where I can have an impact and start to make more PTs more confident and competent doing this, then, Hey, I, I will, I will retire a happy woman if that's the case. Well, and I think that's, um, a great way to start wrapping things up. And I was just going to ask you like, Hey, what do you want the listeners to take away from this discussion? I think you might've just said it, but is there anything else that you really want the listeners to take away? I mean, basically just that, like, if you, if you can, if, if you 
want our profession and, and see the value in what our profession has to offer. We, we have got to make moves. And, um, and, if, and if we can do anything to make our population more healthy and to make other healthcare professionals see our value, um, then do it. You know, don't, don't like get stuck in your, your ways of, you know, one patient after the other, and then you're home at the end of the day and, you know, try to, try to do those things to make a, a change for, for yourself and for your community. Um, just by setting a positive example of what right looks like from a, from an evaluative perspective, um, and from like, a from a, a healthcare provider, uh, management perspective. Um, and the one thing I will, um, my, my one little parting, parting gift for everybody, if they, um, if you are interested in taking, um, either one of our, our course tracks, um, I, you can use the, I have a discount code, a $50 off discount code for, um, for either one of those courses for any of the listeners. Um, if you just put HWS podcast 2022, and we'll just maybe put that in the show notes, um, that'll give you a $50 off discount. Oh, that's I'm so always, nice. Yeah. Always happy to chat with anybody or, um, you know, hear any inquiries. My email address is info at redefinehealthed.com. Uh, you can call or text me anytime. Uh, and I'm so open to it at 312-772-2322. Um, and I'm on social media and trying to, trying to turn it into something. So go and follow me uh, at Redefine Health Ed on all the social medias, except for Twitter, because it was one character too long, which is so annoying at Re- So it's Twitter at Redefine Con Ed. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I can't believe you gave out your phone number. That's insane. No. But hopefully, hopefully, business number. <laughs> business number. Whew. Oh my God. I was like, I'm going to have to edit that one out, but I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the biz number. So, all right. Good, yeah. good, good. Okay. Now, last question. It's one I ask everyone, and that's knowing where you are now in your life and in your career. What advice would you give to yourself as your younger self, maybe right out of PT school? Yeah, I think as a, as a young PT, I really thought I, I knew a lot and, um, yeah, I really thought I knew a lot. I really thought PT could do everything. And, um, the more I learned about the things that I didn't know, I think the better clinician and person I became. And, um, I, I think that's just kind of the natural evolution and the, the natural evolution, if you're really paying attention to, to who you are and what you do is you'll find out, you just know less and less about, you know, you know, a little bit about less and less over time. And, um, and yeah, so like always be open to learning other things in different ways from people that you didn't think were, were, were experts or, um, you know, just always have listening ears and never drink the Kool-Aid. It's not a good idea. Kool-Aid's not good for you anyway. (laughs) I love it. And you know, that's, that is, uh, definitely something that I've heard again and again, as the advice that people would give to their younger selves. So you are in very good company. Um, so Katie, thank you so much for coming on and really hopefully lighting a fire under some of the physical therapists who are hearing this to, um, be open to new ways and be open to the, to primary care and lifestyle medicine and incorporating that into physical therapy so that we're more than, like you said, more than just treating the shoulder and the person goes away. So thanks Mm -hmm. so much for, for all of this info. It was great. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. It's really a privilege. And everyone, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.